Good evening, everybody. It's Saturday night. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, hope that you have filled your tummies with some good food because tonight's message is going to fill your spiritual tummy. Uh, not because I think I'm fantastic, but because of what I discovered uh, as I read myself. Uh, we're finishing up the parables tonight. Um, and I'll tell you what, if it's just me, then it was a jaw-dropping moment for me, but it might be for you too. Brother Rick, I saw that comment about you feeling sleepy and maybe sleeping through church tonight. I guarantee you, well, I shouldn't guarantee because I'm not sure you might know something I didn't uh, in this message tonight, but I guarantee you there's some food for thought in here. At least it was for me uh, as I prepared for tonight. So I jumped right in. Let me back up a little bit. It's Saturday night. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to any first time guests. Thank you for giving us your time tonight. Uh, please find out more about us if you're interested at newarkupc.info. There's uh, information there about things that our church is all about. Even on a digital campus, we have small groups. You can learn how to join those and uh, how those are uh, meeting twice a month at this time on our screens, and also uh, how to submit things like prayer requests, uh, submit um, praise reports, how to find out what our kids are doing uh, still over the screens as well. But we've been hopping for the past over a year now in this digital campus, and um, you can learn more about that uh, on newarkupc.info. For our church family tonight, um, I'd like to just pause before we get to our lesson. I'm excited about the lesson, uh, but we need to pause to uh, perform some care and lift up our prayers for two of our families uh, at our church this evening. Um, if the communication hasn't reached you uh, yet today, our dear brother in the Lord and elder, Brother Herman Klein went to be with the Lord uh, earlier today. And so obviously, uh, Sister Klein and their sons and their families are in need of our prayers for comfort and peace as they navigate this time. And uh, also, uh, we learned just before this broadcast uh, that. Brother Scott Lucas, we've been praying for his mom, uh, Arlene, and we were informed through the prayer chain uh, that his mother passed away this evening as well. And so, Newark, if there's one thing I know about you as a church family, you do this well, praying for those in need of comfort and who are in a time of grief and loss. And Newark is a church that is, I think, incredible at showing love and care for those who are grieving. The scriptures tell us to grieve with those who are grieving. And we wanna lift them up with our prayers tonight. So if you would, for the Lucas family and the loved ones, that are left here on earth. This separation seems so great at this time. Uh, and for the Klein family, 
uh, for the loved ones that are left here until we meet again. Can we lift up these families tonight in prayer? Let's do that right now. Lift your voices where you are and let's pour our love through our prayers to this family, these families. Heavenly Father, this is a heavy day, a day of loss for our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Klein family members, for Scott and his family members. Lord, we trust that you can comfort them, bring them peace, Lord, and just hold them tonight as they grieve and as they say goodbye. Lord, we're thankful that we have you to lean into, to call on as brothers and sisters of these dear families. And we know, God, that you will be with them and walk with them through this grief and through their week. Jesus, we're thankful for your love today for all of us. And God, as we transition from uh, this time of prayer into our message tonight, I ask that you bless it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Bless those listening and tuning in, God. Bless the homes that they represent. Bless our church family, God. Those who are able to hop on now and who will hop on later to listen, God, would you bless them and meet their needs, Lord. We lift up your holy name tonight. We lift up your wonderful name, God. We praise you this evening in all situations and circumstances. You are faithful. You are good, Lord. And we proclaim that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to do that with me uh, as we uh, pour out our love for those who are grieving tonight. As I turn to end our two-week series now that we've done on the parables of Jesus, um, I know I probably say this every time I hop on, but I truly have enjoyed these two weeks. Uh, the parables are important to us as Christians, integral to the Christian life, because they are the teachings of Jesus during his earthly ministry. They are his words. It's words that Jesus spoke and were recorded. And that's kind of special about these certain passages we've looked at over the last two weeks. And they make up one third of Jesus's recorded teachings in those synoptic gospels, the Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke. And they we've been hearing these the, the, the deep uh, principles that are taught in them, that Jesus exemplified and things that are integral to the Christian life, like uh, love and mercy and compassion, principles like that, like uh, how Jesus uh, defined the kingdom of God for his disciples for us, and how, um, and how we fulfill the, this greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor, which is one we're turning to tonight. Um, and other uh, principles of the Christian life, like the importance of prayer. These are just a few things that these parables uh, draw out among others. 
um, that we've heard over all these lessons in two weeks. I've really enjoyed that. So they're beloved passages for us as Christians. And although, you know, most of the time parables are fairly brief, they're short stories um, that have that theological punch. And although they might look simple, there's so much more than that. And I think all of us can kind of nod our head and say, yeah, because we've heard so much more than just a simple, cute story uh, over the past couple weeks. They teach these deep theological truths um, that as followers of Christ were called to and expected to not only hear, but to obey and apply in our lives. So in tonight's parable, Jesus responds um, to a man's question about inheriting eternal life. And that's a deep question. When you're asking Rabbi Jesus, what do I need to inherit uh, eternal life? Jesus responds with a parable to this man's question about, essentially about loving your neighbor. So we know this parable as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So let's read some context of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Um, and I'm going to start off by reading verses 25 through 29. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the greatest commandment. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered the religious leaders with this parable. Jesus replied with the story, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Asked Jesus. The man replied, this is the, the, the lawyer, as I'll re uh, refer to him in my uh, lesson this evening, uh, the, this man of the law, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So this is a parable that even uh, to non-religious people, uh, the good Samaritan or being a Samaritan is kind of a term that is taken 
um, a cultural meaning here uh, that uh, about doing a good act for somebody. Um, and, you know, we have things, organizations named after the Good Samaritan. And it's a very common story and pretty well known across uh, Christians and non-Christians. But before we unpack this parable and some lessons from it, we have to understand the dynamics between the characters presented in it. Because understanding the history between these the two groups that Jesus is talking about that interface, the Jews and the Samaritans, um, understanding this history sets up why this is such a powerful story of loving your neighbor kind of gets lost from us, you know, all the way in 2021 um, because we don't, it, we're not the same culture and we're, we're, we don't understand the history, very, very, very long history of religious and political tension between these two groups, the Jews and Samaritans. And so just a little brief history lesson and um, I'm going to do my best. I'm just going to read a little blurb that I found that I think would be helpful before we look at the passage. Um, and so this tension dates way, way, way back, like hundreds and hundreds of years um, there to the point of sheer hatred, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, the Jews thought the Samaritans were unclean. The Samaritans thought the same thing about the Jews, and they, they vehemently disagreed about everything. Um, so the tension between these groups is pervasive in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Jesus's time, these two groups still hated each other, um, but it dates way back. You'll read about it in lots and lots of stories in the Old Testament as well. Um, and there's hundreds of years of religious and political um, separation and hate. So I'm going to kind of pick up when King Solomon dies in 930 BCE. Um, the kingdom fractures into the northern Israel and the southern Judah. And the north names its capital Samaria. And the southern, which is Judah, names its capital is, as Jerusalem. And so there's this separation that occurs. And the, the interesting thing that I read is that the distance between, physical distance between Samaria and Jerusalem was about 35 miles. Most of us that attend Newark UPC, uh, many of us drive 35 miles, <laughs> or a handful of us do at least, just to go to church. But at that time, that was a very long distance, a long journey. Um, but just imagine it's that's a closer distance than Baltimore and Washington, D.C. So for 200 years, there were these uh, upsets and, and battles and disagreements between the northern and the southern kingdoms. And so keep in mind that both sides, both the northern and the southern kingdoms, claimed Abraham as father and Moses as their liberator, and they all worshiped the God of Jacob, and they all saw themselves as the children of Israel. Um, but they didn't see each other, you know, e equally in that way. So when Israel had been a single nation, King David established Jerusalem as the political 
and religious center. And so Solomon then built magnificent temples there. And after the kingdom split and separated, Judah had the temple. So then the question became, where will northern Israelites worship now? So their first kingdom, I'm sorry, their first king, Jeroboam, establishes worship centers at Bethel and Dan with a golden calf at each of the site. And the calf represents the seed of God, which is just what the Ark of the Covenant, if you recall, in the Old Testament um, in Jerusalem was understood to be. And so the problem was the calf kind of remind, reminded us of, a, of the story of idolatry in Exodus. And so the Judeans accused the Northerners of worshiping golden statues. So there's just turmoil, turmoil, turmoil um, against each other, battles, hatred. It's thick. Later on, um, in 722 BCE, Assyria conquers the northern kingdom of Israel and uh, the northern tribes disperse. Okay, so this is up, an upset of the people. They disperse. And in their place, Assyria, it says it seeds the territory with Babylonians and other Mesopotamian people. So these, in other words, foreigners, outsiders. And when that happens in uh, any uh, kingdom, the um, culture and all of those things are affected. And uh, all these other groups bring in their cultural norms and religious beliefs and uh, ways of life. And so identity uh, of uh, the people began um, to become erased. And uh, in the South, Judah watches the devastation of, the, of its northern rival, and because Jerusalem is only 35 miles away. Um, so a century later, Assyria is conquered by the Babylonians, and Babylon destroys Jerusalem in 587 BCE. Now, we don't have to remember all these dates. I'm just trying to draw a real quick whoop, timeline between Old Testament all the way up to Jesus's time where we find Jesus speaking about of the parable. Um, and many, many people are exiled during this time. So what happens while the Judeans are in exile? People move. They migrate. And when the Judeans in Babylon are finally liberated by the Persians in 538 BCE, those, there were those who still cared about Jerusalem. And they returned back there. So they had been gone. And again, religious and and uh, cultural norms, all these things had changed and other things had infiltrated. But there are groups of people who did return back to Jerusalem. And, but they despised these Samaritans, these people who returned. Who are you? Uh, and so um, these people were strange and they did strange things. Um, they didn't perform the religious rituals correctly. They had different ideas about God, the same God that they say that they worship. And the Samaritans considered, uh, if you recall in the Gospel of John chapter 4, the Samaritans considered um, northern Mount Gerizim to be holier than Jerusalem's Mount Zion. And we hear of that tension when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and she asked Jesus, well, which one is 
the true um, place of worship because this group worships there and this other group worships somewhere else. And so that's uh, uh, a difference between these two groups that ran very, very, very deep. Um, so Jews and Samaritans remain separate. Um, and this is where, uh, by this time, the in first century CE, in the first century, the worst thing you can call a Jew is a Samaritan. So now enter Jesus telling a story about the interfacing of a Samaritan with Jews. Um, and Jesus is speaking about the good Samaritan who did a good deed. You know, this was all like shocking. Just think of groups in history that have so much hatred. And here's the story, you know, presented uh, that is presenting your enemy as the hero. Um, so how dare Jesus tell a story about a good Samaritan? This is what the uh, Jewish believers at the time, how they would have been receiving this type of story. Okay, so with that in place and in light of this history that I whizzed through, um, it's understandable that the last thing any respectable Jewish rabbi would have done was to use a Samaritan as an example in a parable about morals of all things. Um, just as a Samaritan teacher would have been unlikely to use a Jew as a good example. So this is how the audience is receiving this. But for us, since we don't quite understand that shocking, um, uh, the shocking uh, characters in the story, I wanted us to first go through that history before we look at some lessons to draw from this parable. And um, I want to draw lessons from the parable tonight through two perspectives of this story. So first perspective uh, that the story is presented through is our commonly known story of the character of the good of the Samaritan. And of course, he's a good Samaritan because what he does is very good. So he's the hero of the story. In a prime in a, the prime example of a Christian response to someone who's in dire need. And he, he's someone who would not, uh, the Samaritan helps someone who he would not normally or easily want to help um, because he helps a Jew in a ditch who's been left for dead. Um, but from his example in scripture, we're compelled to help our neighbor in need by, by his example of his compassion that he shows and the mercy he extends. I read a definition of compassion that says, compassion is that which causes us to identify with another's situation such that we are prepared to act for his or her benefit. In the beginning of the parable, there was a Jewish priest and a Levite uh, who had some uh, uh, priestly uh, 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 priestly um, 
who was also of the, 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 the lineage of priests and uh, clout is what I meant to say. And so these two religious leaders passed this, Jesus tells us they, they passed on uh, their neighbor. Uh, they passed on this man um, and they active, acted on behalf of their own benefit. And in that decision left the uh, wounded man for dead. But they're the ones in the story uh, that the Jewish audience, the hearers at that time would have expected, oh, here they come. And in fact, the wounded man would have looked up the road and seen these men coming thinking, oh, whew, good, here comes my help. But they crossed the street and they kept walking. But in the example of the Samaritan, the Samaritan extended help at no benefit to him. In fact, his compassion towards his enemy would have probably cost him something, cost him of his reputation, cost him friends that maybe witnessed it, cost him, it would have been shocking to see the Samaritan extending help to the wounded man. Of, and of course, in the examples of all of the acts of kindness stemming from the Samaritan's compassion that we are told at the end of the parable. Verse 34 said, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and then he took them to the inn where they cared for him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So all of these acts of kindness then following uh, as he was became uh, the wounded man's help. His example of helping his enemy uh, here um, points to Jesus's message that he is making, that no one is a non-neighbor. Remember the question Jesus is responding to with this parable is the lawyer, law, man of the law, Jewish law, asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus essentially here is saying, well, he is saying, uh, well, no one is uh, falls outside of the definition of neighbor. Perhaps the 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 uh, lawyer who asked, he expected Jesus to say, well, this person's your neighbor, and but this group isn't. Um, and essentially, the lawyer was trying to kind of get to the point, well, well, Jesus, tell me who I'm not morally obligated to. Um, and the answer in this parable, of course, is there is nobody that Jesus would have ex would expect us to pass by, like in the example of the first two religious leaders. Now, the second perspective, and here's the, you want to wake up right now, Brother Rick. Maybe, maybe not, but I think, I think you might want to, I think you might like this. I did. Um, the second perspective is one, I have never read this story through. The second perspective that Jesus uses to answer this question, who is my neighbor, is from the perspective of the wounded man. I've only ever read it through the, the perspective of the Good Samaritan. Um, so I just think, you know, who if we were in person service right now, 
I would ask for a show of hands. I would say, yes, put yourself on the spot. Has anybody read this through the lens of the wounded, through the perspective of the wounded man or heard this taught? And so right now, if you press that heart emoji, I can see who's in my corner because I'm feeling like I'm the only one who didn't know this. You ever come upon scripture where you're like, why, why didn't I know this? I've never realized this before. All right. So get your heart emojis going. If there aren't any, I'll understand I was the only one, but it's okay. The Lord's working on me too. So Jesus is actually telling this story from the perspective of the wounded man. That's how the story begins. I don't know how I missed that, but I did. So the parable is a challenge that Jesus places to the lawyer. And of course, to us, as we read it in our context today, to consider the perspective of the wounded man in the victim in this story. So I'm going to give you a moment to start chewing on what is is uh, coming at you now, because I know I had to like take a minute and like process. Um, so Jesus is answering the question, who's my neighbor from these two angles. Again, the first is the most commonly understood perspective of the Samaritan with the example of responding to someone and not just someone but he responded to his enemy uh in a time of need when his, when he found him in a time of need and he responded with compassion and mercy and we must be a neighbor to uh this to our enemies in their time e even in their time of need if we have the ability to do so if we have the ability to help and now we see that Jesus's answer is applied both ways. So the wounded man was also a neighbor to the Samaritan because he received the help from his enemy too. And, you know, the wounded man, historically, you know, this is a hated group by his people. And Jesus is trying to get the, the, the lawyer who asked the question to think about it from the perspective of the person who's in need. The wounded man was the recipient of the Samaritan's help. The wounded man made, made a decision too in his time of need. And through his act of receiving the help from the Samaritan, a shift occurred. That enemy that Samaritan, excuse me, went from being an enemy to his neighbor. He could have rejected the help because of who he saw coming down that path. Um, he could have chosen to say, leave me alone. I'd rather die. Um, he could have chosen to be nasty in his response to the Samaritan. But the point is, the minute he allowed his enemy to help him, that relationship shifted and the way they viewed each other, and his enemy became his neighbor. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the irony is, in the end, the man to which the wounded man um, wouldn't have been prepared in any way to accept help from was the one he accepted uh, the, uh, the, the help actually came from. The Samaritan, he would have that was probably the last person on earth he would have ever thought. He probably would have thought, if we saw the Samaritan coming down the road, he probably thought, oh, this is it. The, 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 
the ones I thought would help me have passed. They're gone. They passed me by. Certainly this man is going to pass me by. And to his shock, he, he didn't. He helped him. He showed him compassion. So he would have never expected such a neighborly assistance and kindness coming from his enemy. Now, I thought this was interesting that, you know, we met, we already talked about the priests and Levite were the ones who were expected to help in Jewish culture. These were the ones that people uh, that, you know, that they helped their fellow Jew. It was, uh, they were obligated to do that. So notice I said, the priest and the Levite would have been morally obligated to help their fellow Jew, a very specific handful of people. Um, so how, uh, you know, the uh, wounded man didn't just have a scrape on his knee and they passed him by. He was beat up, left for dead, and his help passed him on by. They didn't help him. Um, and so you can you can see how that's very narrow definition of neighbor for the priest and Levite uh, that they had. And they didn't help him when they uh, should have and were able to. So you can follow then how Jesus is blowing up their understanding of what neighbor is. Who is my, who is my neighbor? Jesus is blowing it up with his parable. Um, their definition of neighbor was narrow and exclusive, and it limited them uh, to who they could help and receive help from. Okay, so that's the point of this wounded man's perspective. Should that lawyer ever be in the place of need that the wounded man was, would he choose to also uh be a neighbor and receive help from his enemy in the way that the wounded man did. You know, we can think about that in the same way as well. Do we have limits on not only who will extend help to, but do we discriminate or do we have limits or are there people where we would say, no, 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 in our time of need, I will not accept uh, help from you. So the lawyer thought he had backed Jesus into a corner with his question, and he was kind of ready to show Jesus that, yes, I'm fulfilling the greatest commandments to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, because I, I love the covenant people. I love the right people, Jesus. And Jesus blew that up, um, because it's not about loving people just like you. Um, Jesus totally redefines what neighbor means um, and makes it a very uh, uh, inclusive word that doesn't have any limits. And, you know, we're, we're not allowed to look at anyone and say, I don't have to love you. I don't have to help you. I don't have to serve you. Um, you know, we, they, Jesus was telling the lawyer, you can't, you can't do that and call yourself someone who loves God. And in the same way, we cannot either. Now, scripture tells us it's easy to love those who are easy to love. Um, but Jesus is calling us to something of a higher standard as disciples of Christ. It, uh, 
what demonstrates being this true disciple of Christ is to show love to those who are our enemies. And that's not easy to swallow. Um, that's the example of this parable. And earlier in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 6, I believe, Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So Jesus puts that challenge to the lawyer in this parable um, in said in the in place of the wounded man, put yourself in his shoes. What would you do if you were him? And would you receive help in your time of need from your enemy? That gives us something meaty to chew on. Uh, it's going to take a while to swallow that pill, but it's scripture. So we have to pray about it and handle it with care and really consider it very, very honestly within each of us, me included. So what I'm saying here tonight, we are indeed supposed to be like the Good Samaritan in this story. It, that doesn't change just because of the other perspective that I had never read before, perspective of the wounded man. Um, the Good Samaritan is still a good example of how a Christian should uh respond to people, love people, love your neighbor. But being a, a neighbor, loving your neighbor goes both ways. We can't discriminate or choose who we want to extend help to. But as Christians, we also can't discriminate from whom we will accept help from when we find ourselves in a place of need. I want to read something quick and I am coming to a close. Thank you for hanging on tonight. Uh, uh, I want to read something, a paraphrase of Jesus's lesson here of this parable that I found. Sometimes people just, some other people just say it better. So I'm just going to read what I found. And it says, Luke's lawyer, that's the, the man who asked the question, who is my neighbor? In the gospel of Luke, the lawyer can see clearly that in showing mercy to the needy man, the Samaritan has become a neighbor to the injured man. Despite the huge distance that separated the Samaritan from the covenant community of God's people, that's all that history we breezed through earlier. Despite that, from a desperate victim's perspective, he could be a neighbor. Perspective changes our idea of who our neighbor can be. Situations that we find ourselves in through life, especially ones that leave us in a desperate place, like the victim in this story, can change of our idea of who our neighbor can be. So this lawyer is challenged to take up precisely this perspective of the victim as he is called to love his neighbor as himself. So, all right, check-in time. Everyone doing okay? Doing okay? All right. We got something to chew on this week. That's for sure. Um, I know there's somebody out there whose mind was blown as much as mine. I know just one. I know there's got to be just one. Um, but, you know, the words of Jesus, just as they challenge that the man of the law, Jewish law, they can still and do still challenge us as his church and his disciples today, if we will allow them. And I'm so thankful, aren't we thankful for the word of God and that it can still make us, he works on us, it can still make us into 
the disciples that he uh, designed us to be and desires us to be today. Amen. So a lot to chew on. Uh, but as we digest this, I want us to check our hearts tonight. If I can call us to do that as a community across our screens and check our hearts by asking ourselves a couple questions uh, following the way that the Jesus that Jesus kind of challenged the, the lawyer in the story. So asking ourselves, turning inward right now in our own uh, minds, how would you answer the question, who is your neighbor? Are you like the priests and the Levites that passed by the wounded man because it wasn't convenient, it wasn't to their benefit to stop and hurt their brother, or stop and help their brother? Their definition of neighbor being, what Jesus is exposed is very narrow. Um, and where willingness to help someone and willingness to receive help was limited to a very, very, very small pool in their world of acceptable people. Or are you like the Samaritan, the hero of the story, who because of his compassion was compelled and could set aside himself and extend help even to his enemy? But as Jesus usually does, the challenge is always a little bit further. Uh, and so in, in case we might be willing to extend help, I think a lot of us can say, I, I, I would help anybody. I could help just about anybody. But, and that's a good thing. Good, help just help anybody. That's a good thing. But would you be willing and able to receive help from your enemy because that's in the anyone, that's in the all, too. And that's what Jesus is, is pushing back at us tonight through this example. Um, he compels us to be like the Good Samaritan, but equally as important, like the wounded man, who was willing to receive help in his time of need from his enemy and make a neighbor out of an enemy. So, obviously, I want to form our prayer tonight uh, to be like the Samaritan and the wounded man. And if some of us tonight, no shame, it's important to uh, uh, be honest with ourselves. If we find ourselves in the story relating more to the priest and the Levite, let's find ourselves, if we can, at a place of repentance, asking the Lord to help us to learn how to grow in uh put aside our biases, put aside our hate, uh, learn to heal, and that God would heal us so that we can be uh, Christians that respond as a Samaritan and the wounded victim wherever we find our, ourselves, whichever situation we find ourselves in. So let's pray together, and I'm closing. Lord Jesus, I just feel this need tonight to call on you, Lord. Call us to a place of repentance. If our definition of neighbor has limits, help us, Lord, to break down those limits. Help us, Lord, to uh, be courageous enough and brave enough and take the risk and be vulnerable enough before you to learn how to do that. It is not easy. 
and I'm not trying to say that it is, but we are challenged tonight to do that through your word. And I know, Lord, that you love us and you desire for us to grow, to become like the Samaritan and this wounded man and the choices that they made. Lord, loving your neighbor as yourself requires us to see people, even our enemies, and that's a hard pill to swallow, as the ones that you died for on the cross too. It requires us to put ourselves in the shoes of others and respond to their needs with compassion, like in our story tonight. Lord, no one is outside of the term or definition of neighbor. Lord, help us to serve the all and help us to receive from all. Lord, we thank you for your spirit tonight that continues to transform us, challenge us, grow us. And Lord, simply uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, loving us, God, enough to walk with us through this journey called the Christian life. Lord, sometimes we do it well. Most of the time we don't but we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And tonight, God, I just thank you for the brothers and sisters across the airwaves. God bless them, Lord. Bless the church and bless those who are seeking you and your truth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us tonight. It went a little bit longer and uh, started with our prayer for our church family members um, so please uh, reach out to them this week as you know how and as as you do, church, and um, let's uh, surround them with our love. We broadcast um, six nights a week. Join us again here tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Uh, and uh, we're here Tuesdays through Sundays with lessons, Bible studies, and uh, fun Friday nights. So thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless and good night.